What's up, everyone out there in social media? Welcome to another edition of the Houston Round Ball Review presents Folks Talking Sports. I am Chris Gardner, owner of the Houston Round Ball Review. And right now, with me, Andy Yanez of everything else, the Community Impact Newspaper, Paw Slamma Jamma, Less Rage Cougs. Did I forget anything, sir? Uh... Gallery Sports for UH Athletics. Oh, gallery Sports um, for UH Athletics. Yes, forgot about that. Yep. A few other things. So like I said, the young man is busy. Drag on the list. So uh, Willie Gibson should be joining us from, if he's still on the road, heading from Cleveland to, oh, we lost Andy, from Cleveland to Columbus. Willie was at the Browns game. And later in the show, James Mueller will join us. So uh, we'll still have a full show. But... Since we're since Andy's here, and I was at the Rockets game Friday, I did not get a chance to tune in to Friday's edition of Less Rage Cougs, the number one official post game show for Houston Cougars football and men's basketball. I did not get a chance to tune in to you guys to get the vibe on the miraculous comeback that the Cougs football team made Friday night to win by one point over Memphis, 33-32. So what were your thoughts, your reactions? What was the vibe of the show? Andy? I had uh, connection problems there for a second, Chris. Sorry about that. No problem. There we go. You're live, man. Roll with it. Let's go. Tony M., how are what? you doing? Thank you for timing in. I couldn't hear your question. Did you just say reactions of the of the game on yes. Friday? Yes. What was, what, what was, what was your, what was your <laughs> first, you personally, what was your reaction to the comeback? Well, um, even before they officially came back, well, I guess I'll just start with improbable is the way to, to put it. I um, When Memphis went up by 19, 26 to, to 7 at the beginning of the fourth quarter off a, a beautiful touchdown that had been set up by uh, the Memphis receiver in a – it was a forty young, a forty-one yard bomb that he was able to connect with his running back, uh, Asa Martin. And you know, after that happened, I, I, like a lot of UH fans, I thought the game was over at that point. Um, and it, it had seemed a lot of the same old, same old. The Houston offense struggled. Uh, the defense, uh, for the most part, did. They came out off the out the gates in that game shaky, but in the second and third quarters, they held Memphis to just six points. Um, but then it seemed like they had been able to – they had let go of the rope just a little bit um, in that fourth quarter. And then, I mean, kudos to Houston because they they drove down the field. They they scored a touchdown. They, they, didn't, give, they didn't give up. They kept uh, fighting. I think when, when um, Jason Rogers scored a 100-yard kickoff return touchdown, that's probably the first time when you're like, okay, the, things are starting to get interesting. Now – it was a bit tricky because the defense was a lot of bend but don't break in that fourth quarter because Memphis kept driving down the field. They kept holding on the field goals, which at the end of the day is, is what saved Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the crazy sequence at the very end where um, the penultimate drive for Houston, uh, they're faced on a third and ten. They decide to go a draw with Stacy Sneed that goes absolutely nowhere. It sets up a fourth and ten. Uh, and I thought Clayton Dune was going to get sacked. He was swarmed by a whole bunch of Memphis defenders and somehow he avoided all of them. Uh, he galloped for the first down. He he avoided defenders. And then in that same drive, they faced another fourth and seven and he, he was able to create, make a play with his legs, but this time finish it with his arm as he found tank Dell. And then they were able to find Keyshawn Carter, I believe 
a couple of plays later, and then they recovered the onside kick, of all things. And by that point, uh, you could tell that Houston had all the momentum out of all the energy in, in that crowd in Memphis. It was a rowdy crowd. Um, and a lot of fans that obviously we've touched on in the past in the show, Chris, where every time Houston and Memphis play, it always seems like it has an extra buzz around it. Uh, especially recently, one of the, the true rivalries in the American Athletic Conference that Houston has, in my opinion. Um, but it, it had been a complete 180. They were able to finish that drive with a touchdown. And at that point, whenever they were up by one, there were still 18 seconds left. So the way the season had gone, it wasn't easy to be able to declare Houston they were going to be the outright winners. Um, but then when to finish off with a sack to see the joy, the excitement. You could tell it was a big it was a big weight off of Dana Hogerson, that whole coaching staff show. It was when they cut to the camera and you had Hogerson, Doug Belk, and I believe it was Brian Early. They're just hugging on the sidelines after the win. And you could even hear it in Hogerson's postgame conference. I think the, the biggest takeaway from that um, was the gutsy fight that the team showed. They could very easily thrown in the towel. They were about to go into the bye week. And instead they buckled down and, and give kudos to them because they had one incredible comeback. I'm going to try something. I'm not sure it's going to work. I'm going to have to do some finagling. And so, Andy, you tell me how this sounds. We've got Willie Gibson on the phone first. I'm not sure because I'm plugged into my earbuds how it will sound, but we'll see how it goes. Mr. Gibson, say something and see how it goes with Andy. Yes, sir. Good evening, gentlemen. Are Andy, we doing hear I could hear him. Yes, sir. I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, we hear you fine. Yeah. Okay. Sound good, Andy? I can hear him. He's a little faint, but I can hear him. Okay, well, let's go with the flow, Will. We may have to, you know, cut it short with you, but hey, it's okay. Live show. We adjust here on Folk Talker Sports. No problem. But Willie Gibson, yes, sir. were you surprised, shocked at the Houston comeback? And so I watched the third quarter and halfway through the third, the fourth, and with about eight minutes to go, to be completely transparent again, I fell asleep and I woke wow. up. Wow. And the 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 call said thirty three thirty two, and I'm like, I must be dreaming because I know <laughs> they were getting handed to them. Yeah. And I said they they really came back to win, and they really taught me. I said, you know what? I've been so focused on. Then the Orgeson, and it, it, it is what it is. And, but these are players. These are 18 to 22 year olds. And those kids fall back. They'll either you said it. You know, the, the comeback shows the team hasn't quit. So kudos to those teams that those those young men to, to fight back. Yep. Andy, yeah. was that a sense that you guys said, mentioned during the show on Friday, let's, let's race coups, that the team had not quit, the players had not quit? Absolutely. That's something that I think that that was one of the things that you have to lead off with um, just in terms of that fight, because like I said, they could they could very easily let go of the rope with the way the game had gone. They were down um, 19 points at 26-7. It's very easily. Um, and the way the game had gone where they had tough breaks where the offense had two different possessions. They got inside Memphis's five yard line. They couldn't come away with zero points. And obviously the brutal, the brutal play at the end of the first half where it, it looked like they had at least a field goal secured. 
there was five seconds left. Hogerson and, and the staff opted not to to try to score a touchdown. Instead, opt for the guaranteed three points. And the problem was that those points were not guaranteed. And Bubba Baxa missed it far left. That it one of the worst twenty-one yard fickle attempts I have ever seen. Man, he shanked that bad boy way, way left. And <laughs> when that happened, it, it just gave a good um. A microcosm of, of how that game felt. And I think Will hit it exactly on the head to show that fight by the team one. It shows that they weren't checked out. They still overall believe in, in what they're trying to, to their goals for the season that they had been talking about, um, especially with the way the first uh, five conference non-conference or the first four non-conference games had gone and even the first conference game against Tulane. Um, but now they're, they're three and three. They're one and one in conference. They're going to be in their bye week. And I think, Hogerson touched on it after the game. It's it's big for a few reasons. One, they're in the bye week. They're at 500. It can serve kind of as a as a soft reset because obviously Cincinnati and UCF, those seem to be the two clear-cut teams so far, and it's still early in the American, but you give yourself a chance, um, which is the most important thing. Um, with the remaining American Athletic Conference schedule, they get a chance to regroup. And the word Hogerson used momentum. They have some positive momentum heading into the bye week. It makes it much more easier to reevaluate where they are um, coming off a win than it is a loss. Most importantly, it, it at the very least, it might have saved a job of someone on the staff when it comes to coordinators. That was going um, my, my next question for you, um, Will and Andy. But Andy, you first. What was the sense when Houston Trail 26-7 were you getting tweets, direct messages? This man has to go. This is a disaster. This is a failure. Dana must go. That's, then, then the comeback happened. What was the vibe when it was 26-7 Memphis? Well, I mean, the whole week leading up to that, after they lost to Tulane, there was a lot of there was a lot of that from Houston fans that they had been frustrated with Hogerson and Hogerson addressed it himself um, in post game in the post game press conference, where he acknowledged, you know, there was a lot of noise after the first the way the first five eight, five games had gone, and it's something leading up to this game against Memphis. We and the entire season we hadn't seen Hogerson directly address it. He addressed it multiple times, specifically in, in one of the radio shows that he does um, when he he joins ESPN uh, Houston here at the local radio station. Uh, ESPN is not local, but, you know, the local station in town affiliated with ESPN. And he addressed it point blank. He said, Dana Hogerson's not going anywhere. Um, he had the support. Then you had the Houston Chronicle article uh, where it said that Tillman Fertitta still supports uh, Dana Hogerson. But just overall that they were acknowledging there there was a lot of noise around Hogerson's um, job, which, to be honest, I, I, I – had they checked out, I don't think he would have been fired. I think it would have caused someone to have to take the brunt of it. And that comeback um, really cooled off a lot of seats. And for the moment, I mean, for the moment, it it it, it gives a lot of relief for, for Hogerson and his staff and for the administration because you, you could see, again, it goes back to the, the camera shot where he's hugging Doug Welk and I believe it's Brian Early. That's just relief. That's relief right there next time in the win. Well, let me ask you, in your opinion, does that fourth quarter comeback save Dana Hogerson for this season? For this season? No, it's too much season to go. I can't, I can't definitively say that. No. Andy, what do you say? I think after hearing um, what Hogerson said leading up to the week, I, I can't see him. I can't see Houston moving on from him. They could go. 
<laughs> granted, if they go three and nine, that means something went really wrong uh, the second half of the season. Um, but again, going back to all the money that they have invested in him, the buyouts, um, the, the back, I think that's an important thing where he still has Tillman Fertitta backing him, at least from the report is. I think I don't think he's going anywhere. I think at worst, if they if they continue to have the up and down season that they had the first six games, um, there'll be changes in terms of the staff. But I think the most important thing that Horison pointed out whenever he went on the radio show early in the week is that they have a lot of moving pieces. Um, the Houston football program overall ha- has uh, one overseeing the construction of that football development center um, Two, the transition to the Big 12. He said that there's a lot of moving pieces in the way they're recruiting and stuff like that. Um, and two, just the staff, too, because they, they have a lot invested in Doug Belk, too, who I mean, we, we talked about it uh, the previous season, what the Houston defense was able to do. Then they gave him an extension, too. He's making over a million dollars to be right. the coordinator for Houston. Um I I don't see it. I don't see for Hogerson specifically. I don't see him going anywhere, um, barring the and even from the team overall. I don't see this happening with Houston the team because we saw it in the Memphis game. That's still a team that they're still invested in the season, and I don't see them worst case scenario going through nine. There's no way they they fall out like that in my opinion. So I think Hogerson's here to stay. Okay, Tillman supported Dana made a statement that Tillman will. I mean, that Dana will be here for this season. One of the conditions was Shannon to the offensive play calling, right? That was stated, correct? In the yeah, in the Houston Chronicle, article, correct? Okay, so did Dana take over the play calling in the game against Memphis, or was it still Shannon Dawson calling those plays? Well, that that was something he didn't address specifically post game, but there was certainly a difference in in the way the the calls were being made, and specifically there was a there was a much drastic change in the fourth quarter. Now, obviously, a big reason for that is because you're down 19. Um, you have to, at the very least, you know, do your best to try to make a rally. Clayton Tune ended up throwing the ball 57 times, which again, that's that's probably not what Houston wants in terms of being a recipe for success. Uh, but there, there was a there were there were a couple times where they were much more aggressive. And again, you hate to play that would have, could have, should have game, but they were they were. Able and at some of it's the way Memphis played, but they were able to move the ball much more better than they had in previous games. Specifically, you know, weak comparison from how they did in Tulane. The problem was they weren't able in to the, capitalize in the fourth it. quarter or all game. Uh, well, in the fourth quarter specifically, I think throughout the game they had their moments. Now it just did they didn't come away with points when it when it comes to the final drive in the first half where they were able to get within the ten yard line, and then um, the other drive I can't remember how that one was set up. I think it was off the the a turnover the defense had faced off the uh, fumble that they forced and they turned it over. And again, they were able to get within um, actually at that point, they got within the one yard line and they tried to on third down, they tried to do a QB sneak with, with two and I believe. And then on fourth down, they tried to, to run it in. They just couldn't push Memphis's um, defensive line at all. So they came away with zero points there. They were in position score, but I know what Horson said leading up to the week that there was going to be a philosophical difference in the way they called a plays for the first three quarters that, that they were held to seven points. And that that's the biggest takeaway is they still got long ways to go. Now, maybe they found something in that fourth quarter where one, and it's something a lot of fans have pointed out, they were playing much more of tempo. Again, a big reason for that is because they were down 19. So they needed to do it. Um, but they, they were just being more aggressive in the fourth quarter, and that's the difference. That's what fans have called for. That's what a lot of followers... That's what we have called for, being more aggressive. 
<laughs> exactly. And, and, and you saw that there were now here's where I say where it was different. Clayton Toon was it, granted with the exception of the interception where he and Andre Ware called it out during the broadcast where he was locked in with Nathaniel Dell the entire way when he threw that pick. Um, he did a much better job of spreading the ball around because there were um, a whole bunch of different receivers. And the big emphasis, Christian Trahan has come back into the Houston offense. He has Tied is back in the offense. How about he, that? He has a research. We talked about it against Tulane. They were targeting him. He wasn't able to to make some of the catch if they were targeting him against Memphis. He was very, very actively involved. And especially in, in, in the goal to goal offense, there was a couple of times that they dumped it down to him and see if he could break a tackle or two and see if they could score that way. So he, he seems to be much more involved in the offense, but then overall, I mean, Matt Golden, I think the first two or three passes of the game went to Matt Golden specifically. Um, and Keyshawn Carter, he made a lot of big plays for Houston overall and even the defense, after the shaky start, they were able to do a good job in the second and third quarters and to not let Memphis run away and hide. Um, and again, in the fourth quarter, they, they gave up a lot of yards, but they were able to stiffen up when it counted and, and hold them to field goals. So really, that game was just a microcosm of the season because they have it right there. It's in flashes. It's in flashes where they they have things to build on. Now, the question is, can they build on them and be more consistent? And they have six games to prove it. Consistency will be a key. They're off this week. Navy next week. That should be a win. Andy, based on the comeback against Memphis, do you believe this will be you and Will? Andy, you first. I mean, Will, you first. Do you believe this comeback win will be, not could be, will be a springboard to them turning around the season and finishing strong? U.S. South after that. South Florida. Yep. South Florida's tough. I watched them take uh, uh, University of Florida to the to the wire. Um, Riverside won a, a missed field goal late for them in the swamp. So uh, it could. I mean, again, like I said with earlier question, it, it's too much to divide. I mean, you you probably would like to ride this momentum into the game next week, but. Uh, What do you what do you say, Andy? Do you think it will be a springboard to a successful season? Navy, USF, SMU, Temple, East Carolina, Tulsa. I I I'll kind of disagree with. Well, I think this bye week is is the best thing that could have happened for Houston, um, for a couple reasons. One, I mean, five out of the first six games have been battles that have literally five of those games came down to the final possession, um, which is absurd. And that's something that Hogerson has addressed. They're exhausted, but the players are exhausted. The coaches are exhausted. Um, so just from a physical standpoint, they need time to rest. Um, to address your question specifically, will it? I, I'm still not there. You're not convinced, are you? I'm not, not convinced, there. are you? I'm not because six games is half the season. That's a large sample size. And so far, they've been inconsistent where, um, I mean, three and three is the perfect record for them because that's that's been the story of the season. Um, they've showed brilliant flashes where they look 
like the team heading into the season everyone thought they were going to get. And then there's also times specifically with the offense uh, where they just can't move the ball. And it's crazy when you look at the quarter-by-quarter breakdown how absurd the team is. Because in the fourth quarter, Houston is outscoring opponents. Um, and and let me actually let me pull it up so I can have the, the exact number. Um, this was leading into the game against Memphis. Um, and I'm trying. I'm trying to bring up the, well, the we'll pull up, but because fourth quarter Friday was twenty six seven. Exactly. Exactly. So I have it. So this was leading up to the game against Memphis. This was before the Memphis game. Houston was outscoring opponents twenty one to seventeen in the first quarter, which um, actually is surprising in terms of the struggles that they had offensively. Now fourteen of those twenty one came well, yeah, in game. that Kansas game. <laughs> yeah. So they had scored seven points through through five games or through four games coming into the game. But I think the most important thing is that they had only held opponents to seventeen points. So that shows the defense for the most part coming into games. They do a good job at the beginning. The big problem for Houston has been the second quarters where they were being outscored by opponents 63 to 20. I mean, and that right there had been the difference in the game. The third quarter have been even. Um, again, this is not counting the Memphis game where opponents were out, just barely outscoring them 38 to 34. And then the fourth quarter, Houston has owned the entire season outscoring opponents 54 to 22. Well, now add in the Memphis game to that. And it was a little bit, uh, it was a little bit different in the first half, but Memphis completely owned the first quarter. They outscored Houston 14 nothing. Um, in the second quarter, Houston won it, but they only scored one touchdown. It's not like it was an offensive explosion. They had been able to hold Memphis to just a field goal. Third quarter, Houston goes scoreless, but they only hold Memphis to a field goal. And then in that fourth quarter, again, more of the same. The Houston Cougars owned the fourth quarter. They outscored Memphis 26 to 12, and really they outscored them 26 to 5 after the first. I can't remember it was the first play that Memphis scored on, but it was very early in the in the fourth quarter when they scored that touchdown. So that just shows how inconsistent they are overall because they can't sustain it. And kudos for them. Again, they fought. Um, they mastered the fourth quarter, and, I mean, they came away with a victory now. That's, that's why I think the bye week comes at a perfect time for them because they can – evaluate um and hopefully they can hopefully the offense can look a lot more like it did in that fourth fourth quarter and maybe that's that's maybe Hogerson decides to take control of the play calls like I said he didn't address that specifically post game uh I'm sure that's going to be something he gets asked now they're going to be off there's going to be no media availability okay. for for Hogerson this week um so they'll they'll have the whole full week to evaluate um and whatnot but um maybe it is maybe maybe Whoever, whatever was the difference, they need to look more like the fourth quarters and how they have the whole season. Now, a big reason why they have won those fourth quarters is because they're down in a lot of those fourth quarters. They have to make rallies. And I think that's the biggest thing, you know, coming into the season, there was talk about how Hogerson wants to, wanted to establish the run. He wants to control time of possession. Houston has shown that that, that so far hasn't really been a recipe for success. And at the end of the day, especially in college football, it seems like they have much more success with an up-tempo style that that you know, spreads the ball around. And and at the end of the day, it's it's forcing the defense has to be reactive instead of you know a lot of times trying to establish the run. And I'm going to bring in Dave Mueller now to get his thoughts on it. He was part of the Less Rage Coups on Friday. James, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. How about your you guys? Pretty good. Um, since I missed Friday's Let's Rage Coups, I was at the Rockets. What was your reaction to the comeback? Were you shocked? Yeah, for sure. I mean, 
You're so you're so chill about it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't think it was gonna happen, especially um, just. I mean, no light, no signs of life at all. But that special teams play, uh, Jace Rogers. You know that return was the spark the uh, the Cougars needed. But yeah, I was uh, I was completely shocked. I I did not see that happening at all. James, do you believe that that comeback in the fourth quarter could save salvage the Cougs' season? And propel them to what is it three and three? Let's let's say winning, just finishing the season with a seven game winning streak. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that I mean that 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 comeback for sure saved their chances of going to an American Athletic Conference title game. Now it's going to be hard to host one, but. The conference is iffy. Cincinnati almost lost to you, uh, USF yesterday. There's a lot of up in the air, so there's definitely possibilities for that. Um, I still don't think a New Year's Six Bowl is realistic, um, but yep. uh, in terms of competing for a conference title, I think that win over Memphis, that comeback, I mean, it kept hope alive. There's still going to be – Work that's UH probably has to win out, and they need a little help having you know Tulane and Cincy or some some of those teams lose. Um, but there's definitely a little more hope. And I'm gonna ask all 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 of you: Will you first that you're the outsider from the Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio? Let's say Houston, the Cougs win at Navy on October 22nd, setting up a home game on the 29th against South Florida in Houston at T-D-E-C-U Stadium. Do you believe it'll be a very good crowd, let's say, for Houston, 30,000 or more for that game? From what I've heard and what I've so far, no. No, can I say something? Because I can't hear the other gentlemen. Okay. That's what the president said before. Yep, eight and four gets you fired. Yep. So he almost has to win out. So the pressure's on. Andy, James, what about that? <laughs> I know that's what uh, Renew Couture said, but on uh, I don't see Dana Holgerson getting fired if they go eight and four. Um, to be honest, James, do you see Dana getting fired if they go eight and four? No. James, do you see 30,000 people to come see Houston play USF on the 29th? No, I mean, they couldn't. <laughs> they couldn't get it last year when they were on win streaks, and that was a ranked undefeated SMU team when they were on, like, a six-game win streak. No one cares about USF, really, so, uh, no, it James, will be another. I'm shocked. Are you saying that a two-game winning streak this season won't get the Cougar fans to come out in droves to see them play USF? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I, I know it's kind of crazy, but. Uh, Andy, what do you say? 30000 for USF? No chance. No, no chance. Damn. But that's reality. That is reality. That is truly reality for Houston Cougs football. And I'm going to put it up there for everybody. I'm going to mention it to Will. Do Will, Andy, James, 
Do any of you see Houston finishing eight and four or better this season? Either eight and four, nine and three. So the only two. Uh, yeah. Uh, no. Okay. Will says no. Andy. I can see it just because of the teams they have left um, to play, and speci- specifically when you look at the schedule, we we talked about Navy and USF, which are the next two games. Um, that November fifth game at SMU at the beginning of the season. That's probably the one. Um, at least when it came to the conference slate coming in, we thought would have probably been the difficult thing. But SMU's kind of – they've been off to a shaky start, uh, start themselves. They have Temple, East Carolina, and Tulsa. Uh, I think that East at East Carolina game, um, honestly, at East Carolina, USF might be the two toughest games, at least as of now. Um, but I can I, – based on the schedule, I think it's totally doable. Now, I think the, big, the biggest question is not the opponents, in my opinion. It's UH it, itself. Um, that's the biggest question. Okay, Will, I'm going to run down a schedule for you. Remaining schedule at Navy, win or loss? Uh, Navy should be a win. Home for USF? I think they lose against USF. At SMU? Oh, uh, they'll beat them. Home for Temple? Oh, they'll beat them. At East Carolina? I'm sorry, East Carolina. Okay, and then wrap up home against Tulsa. Uh, I saw t- again, I saw Tulsa last year. I don't know what they're doing this year. They came to Ohio Stadium and played the Buckeyes coming tough. Uh, Scotty Montgomery, right? That's the coach. Yeah. Um, Dang. Is that, is that at Tulsa? No, no, it's in Houston. It's Houston. in Houston. Last game of the season. Okay, so if you do that, that'll be seven and five. Right. But if they win that, they're eight and four. Right. I, I, I did it on purpose. Yeah. Because eight and four gets you fired unless you eat well, seven and five gets Another well, extension? Another, yeah, another extension. <laughs> and let me say this. Let me be, let me be, I'm gonna be petty, messy, all those things that I've been accused of. I don't care. Um, Please, Houston administration. I do not want to see any sort of announcement this week that you have given Dana Horgerson one more year, an extension, because Houston came back from 19 down against Memphis and won. Please, don't do something silly like that because you did it last year going 12-2 against trash, a trash schedule, and this is why you're in this mess you're in now. But please don't do something foolhardy. Hey, hey, hey. We're doing it again. We get to come back. We're on the right track. The players didn't quit. We're going to get one more year. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. Okay. Well, I got you on the phone with Andy and James. I want to talk about this. I'm kind of curious about all you guys on this, but Will, I'll come to you first. Victor Wimbenyama. Young man put on a show this week in Henderson, well, last week in Henderson, Nevada. But, Will, for you, based on what you saw, are you ready to proclaim him a Hall of Famer? Oh, no. <laughs> no I thought you were going to say number one overall pick. Without question, oh. number one overall, yes, but 
Oh, yeah, I agree with that. But no, there are people already, ESPN folks, NBA folks, declaring Victor as a Hall of Famer. Has not played one game in the NBA, and yet folks are already declaring him a Hall of Famer. Andy, what do you say about Victor Wimiyama as a Hall of Famer? That's ridiculous. You cannot. There's so much hype. And it, granted, it's deserved. And and what he's shown so far, it's certainly promising. But no, he's not a Hall of Famer. So far. He hasn't stepped a foot in an NBA court yet. And I don't care how good he looks until he proves it. You can't declare him a Hall of Famer now. Granted, what he has done, it is impressive. Um, I, I think it was Woj that said it, that by the time January and February rolls around, we're going to see uh, tanking by a lot of these NBA teams that we've unprecedented. unprecedented a present, man, we'll, now we'll I can't there. even talk. Um, we'll, get there. We'll, get, we'll get there. Talk about that in a second. James, what do you say? Is Victor Wimbanyama a Hall of Famer? Right no. now, right now. No, you look at how many have been bust. You you got to step out on that NBA court, even if, I mean, he's got to have a career. He could have a great rookie season and then fall Thank off. Thank you. No you got to have a career. So all four of us, none of us, are proclaiming Victor Wimbanyama a Hall of Famer. Top pick in the twenty three draft? Yes. Hall of Famer? Hell no. Okay. So let me say that. That goes to ESPN guys, NBA guys. Shame on you for saying that right now. Based on what you saw in two games against Scoot Henderson's team, the G League at night. Whatever. Will, I'm getting old, Will. I'm getting old. Okay. Uh, think, oh, thank you for saying that. I'm getting better. But I'm surprised. Andy touched on it. Woe touched on it. I had my show last night with Rocket fans. There are Rocket fans. Rockets fans who want the Rockets to tank this season in order to prove, improve their chances to get victory with Minyama at number one. Your thoughts on that, Willie Gibson? Thank you. That's what. That's my main point. You do not. It's, it's not a guarantee you will get the lot if you have the worst record in the NBA that you'll get the number one pick anymore. So, Andy, based on that, what are your thoughts on the Rocket fans, not Spurs fans, teams that have less talent than the Rockets, but Rockets fans, one of them, and it's not a lot, maybe twenty percent, want the Rockets to tank this season to get improve the chance to get Victor Wembanyama next year. Well, they can want all they want, but I don't think um, when you look at the, the NBA landscape, you mentioned the Spurs, the Jazz, probably add in the Thunder with all the injuries that they've had. Um, I don't think the Rockets can be worse than those three Thank teams. you. No Spurs, no Utah, um, no OKC, probably Indiana as well. Yeah, throw in the Pacers, and then you look at, at – the core that Houston has, I mean, they're not going to be competing, you know, barring drastic leaps. I don't think they'll be competing for planes, but I don't think they're with the talent they have. I don't think they're bad enough to be able to be in that mix. Now they have been the past two years finished with the worst record and they haven't had the number one overall pick. So exactly at the end of the day, since it is a lottery, I think what's more, most important, important for these uh, rockets is to 
show improvement from a lot of these young guys and show that that progress is being made. Um, and especially for Steven Silas, that's, that's probably the most important thing for him now that he's entering his third season, I believe, leading the Rockets. Third season, Silas, correct. So really what the Rockets should be looking at, the Rocket fans should be looking at, one, how does Jalen Green look in the second year? Has he taken a, a giant leap forward um, for Houston? How does Jabari Smith look? I know there was a lot of – and a lot of – Houston fans are reactionary when it comes to how he played in the summer league. Um, but Jamar, Jabari Smith is going to have a lot of eyeballs just in terms of he's the, the big prospect that they got this season. And they have to come and make a decision on KPJ. What are they going to do with him um, going forward? Um, that's the things you need to watch for now. Granted, if the bottom falls out and they are one of the worst teams in the league again, well, then, then then, you go from there. But if you're not, I think that's most most important to be able to see what the development is um, because you have been the worst in the league the past two years and it hasn't got you the number one overall pick. James, what do you say? Do you think the Rockets should tank to get Victor Wimanyama? No, just like Andy said, nothing's guaranteed. If you were guaranteed the pick, 100%. Because you're not going to – I mean, I don't think they'll have the worst record in the league. But they're not winning a championship this year. Right. So, okay. Um, if it was guaranteed. But with the lottery, you look at it, you know, they're probably, I'd say they're probably not top four or top four worst records in the league this year. I'd say they'd be like around six or something. So your chances there already. And then, you know, top four, it's a, it's a gamble. There's no guarantee. You could end up with the fourth pick. Um, and so, no, you're all, it's all about developing these young players. And, hey, if you somehow – you'll get a lottery pick this year if you somehow right. run in. And if you win the lottery, yeah, draft Victor. Yes. Yeah. Get it. But um, there's you can't just plan your season around him because, I mean, you're, you're leaving way too much up to chance if you're just planning on, oh, we're going to lose every game because then we'll get Victor. I mean, you could lose every game and the team with the fourth worst record in the league could get Victor like. You know, exactly. You guys are thank you for having my back from last night's show. The teams, the three teams with the worst record, each will have a 14% chance at the lottery to win the lottery, get the first pick. Willie Gibson. Yes, sir. What win loss total do you think the team with the three worst records will have? The Spurs. Give me a, a win total for the Spurs this year. Okay, 17. Yeah, I think that's that might be high <laughs> for Victor this year. Yeah. But Andy, what do you say? 17 worst record in the NBA. 17 wins. Uh, that might be too high to be honest. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Andy, James, what do you say? 17 over or under. Oh, worst record in the NBA. Under. I'd predict the Spurs between 13 and 15 wins if I'm being honest. 13 and 15 for the Spurs, Will. James says 13 and 15. 13 to 15 wins. Okay. So I, I can see that possibly. The Rockets have their young talent is too good for them to be that bad. Okay. And then be that bad three times. I don't see it. Don't see it happening. Not because they win the lottery. Yeah, they could win it. They could be 30 and 52 and win the lottery. Then drive Victor. Great. No brainer. But for them to have the worst record in the NBA. Ooh no, <laughs> I, just, I just don't see it. I just don't see it. I don't care what Woj says. The Spurs, Utah, OKC, 
Detroit, Orlando, Indiana, you have to suck mightily to finish with one of the three worst records in the NBA. Yep. Mr. Gibson, Draymond Green. Let's talk about Draymond Green, the punch against Jordan Poole. I don't want to go old school first. I want to go Willie Gibson. What do you think the Warriors should do to Draymond? Not the person who leaked the video to Draymond. Like be a trade? Yeah. Yeah. Andy, what do you say? You think the Warriors will trade Draymond? Based off the the, the video, um, there, I could I could see that happening if if they really are done with them. I I don't see. I think they'll stick with um, the core because you, I think he he has proven that he is an important piece to to that Warriors core overall. Um, but I guess. Jordan Poole is kind of maybe they could create it. I don't see it. Long story short, I don't see it just because of of Clay, Seth, and and Draymond. They have that core together, but um, it's certainly a, a tradable offense, for the lack of of the phrase, um, based on the video and how how it looks, just without specific context on what the the whole drama leading up to it was. James, you think the Warriors will trade Draymond? They're not going to trade him. They won't even suspend him. Like. Oh, you don't think they're, they're going to suspend him? You think they're done? You think that Draymond taking some time away will be enough? That's what I think they're going to do. I don't agree with it, but I think come uh, opening uh, day, they're going to Draymond will be out on the floor. Huh? Okay, Will. Do you think the Warriors will do anything to Draymond? Suspend him, or is it done? His stepping away right now is enough. Okay, well, how long do you think Draymond will be away? However long they decide, that's the thing, that's the thing. I don't know, but I think, I don't, I don't, I don't know this is of his own volition. Okay. I, I do not believe that at all. Okay, so, so you're, since you're of the mind that they're going to trade him, so there's no question in your mind that he will not be back this last year as a free agent. He's done in the oh, bank. No. See, that's a great point because player option, he is not turning down that money. Absolutely not. He wants an extension, and the Warriors will not give him an extension. Let's be clear on that. That's not going to happen. Well, Andy James, what do you say about that? If the Warriors won't trade him, and if Steph, what, what, okay, what would Steph say? 
Draymond and Draymond, I know, but the punch was bad. I know, but he still helped us win four championships. I want him here. What if Steph says that? Andy? And if he says that, Draymond's not going anywhere. Well, okay. If he says, if Steph said Draymond, I want Draymond, Draymond's not going anywhere, Will. Yes. How many teams do we not know that they shifted the run that never saw the light of day? Yes, very true. And that's that's a great point. I mean, Thursday, when word got out that the players and his teammates said Draymond went too far this time, this is before the video was leaked. Word got out that he went too far. We knew something it was bad for the players to say that he went too far this time. And then the video comes out. It was bad. All right. That that hate maker he threw, that's a bad look. It's bad it was leaked. Now let me go old school. Like Steve Kerr and Reggie Miller and the old heads. Guys I covered when I was Andy Dame's age, but a little older. Um fights like this happen all the time in practice. Not all the time, but a lot in practice. And what happened in practice? We just, we saw it, nodded our head, and kept, <laughs> kept our, our typewriters closed and moved on. It wasn't that big of a deal. All right? Rockets, Detroit, Bulls, Knicks. It happened. It's, I mean, this stuff happened a lot before TMZ, money, social media, all those things. Now, KDC can have a point here about nobody wants to be punched at work. In the NBA, you know, it's a job. Obviously, Jordan Poole does not want to be hit and clocked. But, hell, I'm pretty sure, uh, how can I phrase this when I get in trouble? I'm sure hands have been thrown in college practice. Will? <laughs> okay. That we haven't heard about, that haven't been leaked, that charges have not been filed. So, you know, don't get me wrong. I know some folks say, well, they should have been filed. It shouldn't happen in practice. It shouldn't happen anywhere. Okay. You know, different generation. I'm telling you how I grew up and what I grew up and what I saw. I saw a lot of stuff in my 30 years of covering basketball. A lot. Different generation, Andy and James, they might have reported. They might have, if they had been in practice at UH, they might have made a story out of it. I don't know. Who knows? That might be why Kelvin Sanders says practice closed <laughs> to avoid stuff like that. That might be. In fact, I'm going to put you guys on the spot. Andy and James. Andy and James, the youngsters of the group. If we were at a Houston Cougar practice, which is pretty rare, but if we had a chance to watch an hour of practice, and some stuff happened. Some, some stuff went off. And hands were being thrown. And Coach Samson, the staff, says, guys, don't report it. Would you guys report it? No, no, I would not because then, well, we're never going to be inside of a practice ever again. 
James, would you report it? And he said no. Well, James, would you report it? No, if they if Coach Sampson tells me not to, I'm not going to do it because I don't want to risk any future, you know, not being able to cover anything in the future. Okay, well, they both said no. If Coach Sampson told them not to report it, they wouldn't report it. Okay? Will, would you report it if a coach told you not to report it? He said, Will said, hell yeah, he'd report it. <laughs> Why? Okay, all right, but what if it's at Ohio State? Yes. Will's reporting regardless. He's reporting it. Hmm. Yes. You're different than me, Will. You're, you're different, but I respect that. You're different than me. Okay. You wouldn't do it? No. Oh, heck, I didn't do it before. <laughs> no, I've seen, trust me, folks, Tony M, KDC, D Skill. I've seen stuff in some practices here in town, and y'all be like, what the hell? <laughs> no. Nope. Wouldn't do it. Wouldn't, wouldn't do it. And I can tell you guys off the record about some stuff. Y'all be surprised at one of these stories I, I would tell you off the record. Uh, but yes. All right. Kind of enjoyed that conversation right there. Different take. Okay, hey, that's fair. And let me put this on the screen for folks. Will Gibson talking to us on the phone. So in case you want to know, want to touch him, contact him on social media. Will Gibson 7 is his Twitter account. So there you go. Put it on the screen right there. So yeah, Will Gibson 7. And while we're there, sir, as we wrap up this show, we talk about Draymond and Big Women Yamba and, and the Coos come back. Give us a Browns report and a Buckeye report, sir.
Mr. Gibson, how can folks find you on social media, sir? All right, sir. Thank you very much. You take care. All right, gentlemen. Thank you. All right. Willie Gibson from Ohio. Columbus, the Ohio State University on the phone. Technical difficulties on his end with the stream. So we had to adjust on the fly and do what we do here. These final moments of folks talking sports of FTS. One to get Andy and James thoughts on this and our colleagues, our folks who are tuning in, excuse me, who are tuning in on FTS, either on YouTube or at a folks talk sports Twitter account. Uh, what's his name? Uh, what's it? Jeff Goodman, right? Jeff Goodman, right. who announces annually his uh, list of not so secret scrimmages that uh, college teams, men's college teams, have against one or two opponents. And he, and you received a tweet. What, uh, Wednesday? Was it Wednesday this week? Earlier this week, someone tweeted about Houston and Duke uh, scheduling a scrimmage, roughly, whatever. Right? Yeah, they had uh, Yeah, they had tweeted about it before Goodman's report. So that was before the report. Uh, I did some checking and, and confirmed it and got a few more details about it. Um... The matchup is scheduled for October 29th. The Cougars will scrimmage against the Longhorns October 22nd in San Antonio. Uh, I kind of know the location, but I, it has been confirmed, so I won't put it out there for San Antonio. But just want to get you guys' thoughts on Houston scheduling, or I flip it around, Duke scheduling a scrimmage against Houston and what that, in your opinion, indicates for Houston men's basketball. Oh, Chris, I'll, I'll kind of 
echo what you said in the past. It just shows um, where the program is from a nationally relevant standpoint that Duke uh, wants to schedule a scrimmage because it's a two-way street with Houston. I think that speaks highly of, one, what the coaching staff has been able to do, where they have put Houston on the map, and two, of the talent that Houston has. Um, and it's, it's mutual respect from um, a program like Duke when you see um, really where they – view Houston and like um, we've talked about where the media views them. There's multiple outlets that have them as a top five, most of them top three team in the country. And I think Duke scheduling a scrimmage acknowledges that. Um, and it's just a testament. Um, like you were saying during the, <laughs> as we were waiting for the practice on Friday, where Houston has come a long way from the dark times, as you phrased it. Yes. Dark bleak days. Uh, but James, what do you think this indicates? for Houston men's basketball, about Houston men's basketball. Yeah, Andy hit it right on the head. Um, I mean, it just shows the national respect Kelvin Sampson and his programs gaining. And a lot of these schools in these not-so-secret scrimmages try to schedule, you know, high-caliber, or especially, like, you know, the the Blue Bloods try to schedule, you know, some high-caliber people because it doesn't count and it's a good measuring stick. So the fact that Houston was on that list and is going to play against Duke – like, I mean, that's, that just shows um, that they've got that national respect from one of the all-time great programs. And let me say this to our viewers and ultimately our listeners when it's on Spotify, Apple, and iHeart. This is a scrimmage, okay? It's not even an exhibition game. It's a scrimmage. And most likely, it's going to be three 20-minute sessions, okay? A scrimmage. Yes, they'll keep score, kind of. But basically, scrimmages will work on zone offense, zone defense, different sets, full-court presses, things of that sort. The coaches will agree on what they want to work on, and that's what they will put forth in the scrimmage, okay? So the, there might be box scores that are leaked that are tweeted out. Don't read into it because it's still a scrimmage. The box score may not go be specific details about this 20-minute session, this 20-minute session, etc. So if word gets out about the Cougs wax Duke's ass in a scrimmage, still a scrimmage. If Duke wax Houston's ass, it's still a scrimmage. Okay? Three 20-minute sessions. You might hear somebody report a score of the all three sessions combined. It could be, oh, I don't know, 75-55 Houston. But it could have been a scrimmage of Houston won one of them 30 to 29. Another one wanna be Houston won by 10, and then one of the other scrimmage by nine. Whatever. It's still a scrimmage. So the main point is Houston is now considered relevant that Duke wants to compete against them and get better against, against competition like that, that's what it represents to me. Now, what I would like to see happen, putting out there for Andy James in the universe, and I don't know anything about this, but what I would like to see happen from this scrimmage is a home-and-home home between Duke and Houston. If that happens, then that is games that count 
that's another step in the equation for the Cougs being nationally relevant to get a Duke program to come to Fertitta Center. Not Toyota Center, because Andy James, you have heard, Coach Sanford does not want to have those matchups against big-time programs at Toyota Center. He wants them to be at Fertitta. That's where the home court is for Houston, right? Yeah, yeah. and he said it multiple times across various seasons. So just keep that in mind. I'm not trying to be Donald Downer or anything like that about Houston scrimmage and Duke. It's a scrimmage, okay? The important thing is it's a level of competition and respect that the Cougs are getting by facing Duke in a scrimmage. And yes, I, I know more than I'm saying about possible locations of this scrimmage. I ain't saying all that, okay? Until it's confirmed by Houston, I'm leaving that alone. Andy Giannis, how can folks find you, sir, as you wrap up this edition of Folks Talking Sports? How can folks find you on social media? Yes, sir. They can find me on Twitter at Aonis underscore five. Um, they can really support me and the show. Um, well, our Let's Rage Kook show, obviously, the streams here on the Houston Round Ball Review YouTube channel after each football game. Coming soon, we are now under a month until the first uh, game from both the men's and women's basketball teams. They um, tip off November 7th. Um, Monday, obviously, the men's basketball team is going to tip off at Fertitta Center against Northern Colorado. That'll be the first Let's Rage Cougs um, following the men's basketball um, season, uh, home opener, season opener. So be on the lookout for that. Obviously, we still have six more football games, post-game shows, so you can follow us on YouTube. Support the new Podslam Ajama YouTube account. That's P-A-W-D-S-L-A-M-A-J-A-M. A, I have that locked down. We are now, last time I checked, we're at 310 subscribers, which um, we're on the road to 1,000. We're 31%, no, yeah, 31% of the way there after just launching the month, which is good. And you want to, I call it, I getting good at branding. I have to brand myself the one-stop shop for all things uh, UH football, men's basketball, and women's basketball. Um, we have clips from... Hogerson's and the players' availability, Doug Belk, and we have, I mean, anything you could ask for, uh, men's basketball availability, women's basketball availability, your one-stop shop there too, and then on TikTok and Instagram, Let's Rage Cougs, all lowercase, um, it's just Let's Rage Cougs, I actually do have the banner for that, like you see it on the screen, Let's Rage Cougs on Instagram and TikTok, we're similar, it's just about promotion, it's about branding, and if you're interested in advertising Let's Rage Cougs, the fastest growing show Let's at gmail.com. We are beginning to back, buckle down for sponsorships for the men's basketball season. Correct. And, and well done. So well done to both of you guys for uh, Friday's Let's Rage Cougs show. Uh, you guys did it without me, and that's what I want to see. <laughs> you know, <laughs> y'all carry that. That's Andy's baby. Andy, you run with it. James, you're contributing to it. Awesome. It's all part of the expansion of the Houston Round Ball Review brand. This evening, I think at 5 o'clock this evening, so two hours ago now, uh, Adolphus Moore did his AD, the Max Corner wrap-up of the Texans' win over the Jaguars. So I think the Texans now have the same number of wins as the team I used to root for, the Washington Commanders, who are one of the worst teams in franchise in all of sports because their owner is an incompetent ass. So anyway, um, <laughs> James Mueller, how can folks find you, sir, on social media? 
Yeah, follow me at JDM2186 on Twitter, and then check out the dailycougar.com for all my UH athletics coverage. And I want to say this, put the Folks Talk Sports Twitter account on there. Coop fans, we're all alums or soon-to-be alums once James graduates. Support the Cougs. Support us. Cougs supporting Cougs. What Andy's doing, what I've done for years, what James is doing and will continue to do, support us. The I'm kind of surprised. No, no, I'm not. I'm not even going to lie. The videos, the press conferences that Coach Horgerson, that the YouTube, the Houston Cougar Athletic website, excuse me, Houston Cougar Athletic YouTube account posts under UA's Content Solutions. What a name. Doesn't have more views. Well, I think the post game for after Friday's Friday's win over Memphis, last I saw was 500, 600 views for Coach Hogerson's post game show after a, a thrilling comeback win. Where else are you going to watch that? Okay, that's a road game, right? Andy? Jamma with clips. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, but okay, yes, but- sir, it was on the road, and I'm not sure how many Houston local reporters were there. I know the Houston yes. Chronicle was there. Um, from the video, it seemed like he was the only one asking questions, and Joseph Duarte does a great job covering for the Chronicle. But, um, yeah, outside of them, outside of clips that were limited with not other stuff. So- I mean, I just checked it right now. It's at 1,600 views. Okay, um, good. So it's so- growing. It's growing. Um, but I will say this, yeah, like you said, off a thrilling win, those, and I know from experience with the Pot Simon Jamma YouTube account, they seem to do better when they lose than when they win, which that shouldn't be the case. Right. right. So support the Cougs, win or lose, but especially after that comeback win and how they won in dramatic fashion. Support the Cougs, watch that channel, click on the video, get the views up, like the channel, all those things. Because it's part of supporting us, supporting our alma mater. And if you're not an alum, supporting the team that you root for. This is all part of being a big-time athletic program. Because once again, I've said it before, and I'll beat this horse into a coma till it dies. If we don't support Houston Athletics, who will? If we don't support us first, it's really hypocritical, hypocritical for us to go out and say, well, why don't you support the Cougs? Well, do you? Do we? Well, not really. You know, I just kind of do. Uh, well, then. It's up to us first to support Houston Cougar Athletics. James Mueller and Yanez, Willie Gibson, as always, thank you very much. Thank you to Jamon M, Y Citizens, Tony M, D-Skills, H-Town, Red Lobo, Popped in here, Rockets fan. He was on the uh, Let's Talk Houston Rockets last night, and I'm going to do that again tomorrow after the Rockets play the Heat on the road. Going to have another show. As always, guys, thank you very much for taking time to be part of the show. We'll see you next week. Until then, take care. Peace.